0: Well, today we come to the end of our journey through Revelation. What an amazing journey it's been! Join us, Pastor Gary Wagner, coming up next on Abounding Grace. The seven letters to the seven churches all the way through to the three witnesses, the seven woes, the seven trumpets, the seven bowls, the wrath of God, the destruction of the old earth, the old heavens, and the making of a new. It's all been here in Revelation. And today we come to the end of our marvelous journey as we take a final look at the end of all things, which is the beginning of all things, the Lord Jesus Christ. Here's Pastor Gary Wagner with today's broadcast of Abounding Grace.
1: It says, In the middle of the street and on either side of the river was the tree of life, bearing twelve kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit every month. And the leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. Now, what is interesting is, when Ezekiel 47 describes its picture, it talks about a great forest of trees on either side of the river of life. And this forest of trees bearing all kinds of fruit is for the healing of the nations. And here in John it talks about the tree of life. So what you have here is a great lesson. For you have forests of the tree of life. It's not that you have one tree of life in the new heavens and the new earth. You've got the tree of life that fills up both sides of the river. You have a forest of trees of life. How many trees of life were there in the Garden of Eden at the beginning of time? There was only one. How many trees of life will there be in the new heavens and the new earth, that holy city at the end of time? There will be a forest of trees of life. And this is the lesson. So we win a great deal more in Christ than we ever lost in Adam, beloved. Anyone ever ask you why God allowed sin? Why did God predestine the fall of man back with Adam and Eve where he could have prevented it? It was to give us more in Christ than we ever had in Adam. Why did God predestine the fall? To give us a forest of trees of life, not just one. And remember what the tree of life was it wasn't some kind of magical tree, it was a sacrament. It wasn't that if you ate of its fruit, then magically you would live forever. But it was like the Lord's Supper. When you take the bread and the wine of the Lord's Supper, God uses that in a spiritual way to nourish and sustain your spiritual life in Christ. And that is what the tree of life was. The tree of the knowledge of good and evil in the Garden of Eden was to remind Adam and Eve of God's sovereignty over them. That they were to submit to him. The tree of life was a constant remembrance that they couldn't submit without his help, and that it spiritually and sacramentally sustained their lives. And now in heaven, in the new heavens and the new earth, there will not just be one tree of life, But there will be a gigantic forest, so to speak, of the tree of life. Everywhere you turn, God will be sustaining His people so eternal life throughout the far reaches of eternity. You gain much more in Christ than you ever lost in Adam. Verse 3, there will no longer be any curse. And the throne of God and of the Lamb of God shall be in it and his bondservants shall serve him in the new heavens and the new earth all of the remnants of the curse will be gone all of the effects and consequences of the curse are gone as far as the curse is found as you Sing and joy to the world. Remember what happened when God cursed the ground because of Adam and Eve's rebellion against God? Thorns and thistles grew. And thorns and thistles in the Old Testament were symbols of God's curse. That's why Jesus wore a crown of thorns pressed against His brow. It was to testify to the world that the curse of sin was now born in Himself as our substitute. Well, does that mean that there is not going to be thorns and thistles in heaven? I really don't know. But I have no reason to believe there won't be. Because it is this universe recreated, remember? But I think if there is, thorns and thistles will be glorious things. But the point is that all of the effects of the curse, will be gone. And what are we going to be doing in the new heavens and the new earth? You know, I'm asked this question actually a lot. Verse 3, There will no longer be any curse, and the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and His bondservants will serve Him. Now the word serve can be translated in two ways in Greek. You may translated worship, like in a worship service, or actual serving, like in obedience and submission. So don't think that the New Jerusalem, the Holy City, the Perfective Heavens and Earth, are going to be a place of leisure and inactivity, of strumming harps and getting bored. Of course, unless you're like Crystal Swartz and your gift is playing the harp. And in that case, you will play the harp like you've never played it before. But the point I'm getting at is that the new heaven, that heaven is not a place where you just sit around for an eternity. You will be doing something, and your life in the new heavens and the new earth is basically going to be comprised of two things, worship and service to our great God. You're going to be worshiping God. There will be times of singing praise, all of those types of things, and Jesus will literally be there with God the Father, and throughout all eternity, you will be serving Him, working, carrying out the dominion mandate, using the gifts and callings that God has given you with greater clarity than you ever used them on this earth. Discovering and exploiting, in a good sense, all of the various regions of this massive universe. You'll never stop learning. You'll never stop subduing the earth. You'll never stop exercising dominion over it. You will, throughout all eternity, work hard to the glory of God. But you will never grow tired or weary And you'll never grow tired or weary of worshiping him with all of the saints and with all of the angels. And here's the greatest blessing of all in verse 4. In the new heavens and the new earth, and they will see his face and his name will be on their foreheads. Now, that is that they're going to be sealed. Remember Revelation 6? They had God's brand on their forehead, sealing the believer forever to God, showing they belong to Him. Nothing will ever separate you and I from God. And the greatest blessing is that they shall see God's face. In theology, that's called a beatific vision. The beautiful, incomparable vision of the Lord Jesus Christ, the living God. In heaven we will be perfected spiritually and physically. We will have our physical eyes back at resurrection. Remember what Job said, I know that my Redeemer liveth, and on the latter day He shall stand upon the earth, and with my resurrected eyes I shall see Him in the flesh. So the greatest blessing is now you see God. This is true of us today. It says in John 6, and this is another place that shows us, this is talking about the redeemed church now as a picture of the consummate church in the future. John 6 verses 45 and 46 say, It is written in the prophets, and they shall be taught of God. In other words, everyone who has heard and learned from the Father comes to me. Now that any man has, Not that any man has seen the Father except the one who is from God. He has seen the Father. Truly, truly, I say to you, he who believes has eternal life. I am the bread of life. And then he says in verse 40, For this is the will of my Father, that everyone who beholds the Son and believes in Him will have eternal life. So, What do you have to do to have eternal life here and now? Behold the Son and believe in Him. But beholding, but the beholding, the seeing of God, of the Son of God is now by faith alone and not with your physical eyes. But how much better it will be when we enter into the new heavens and the new earth And faith is left aside. Do you realize that? We'll not need faith any longer. It will fill us. Now abideth faith, hope, and love, but the greatest of these is love, says 1 Corinthians 13. You don't need faith in heaven. You don't need hope in heaven. But there will be love. And you will see God with your mind and your heart and your eyes. And whatever other way God allows himself to be known and perceived. You ask how in the world am I going to see God when the Bible says about him. No man has seen God at any time and lived. Beloved I don't know. But it does say, when we are in the new heavens and the new earth, we will not only see the humanity of Christ, we'll not only see the human body of Christ, but in some great and profound sense, we will look upon the living God himself. Verse 5, And there will no longer be any night and they will have no need of the light of a lamp, nor the light of the sun, because the Lord God will illumine them, and they will reign forever and ever. God's glory, again, will fill the entire universe. And now we come to the very last section of the book of Revelation, a very profound and solemn section that brings begins in verse 6 and goes through to the end. So let me read that section. Revelation 22, verses 6 through 9. And he said to me, These words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show to his bondservants the things which must soon take place. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. I, John and the one who heard and saw these things, and when I heard and saw, I fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things. But he said to me, do not do that. I am a fellow servant of yours and of your brethren, and, uh, your brethren the prophets, and those who heed the words of this book. Worship God. What a conclusion. What a grand finale to this great book. Notice the first thing we see in verses six through nine. We see a final attestation attest, attestation to the book's authority. We see several persons reminding us why the book of Revelation should not be neglected, that it should not be overlooked, but should be read and studied and understood and believed and applied. And the first testimony to its authority in verse 6 is the testimony of the true and living and the faithful God. He said to me, these words are faithful and true. And the Lord, the God of the spirits of the prophets, sent his angel to show his bondservants the things which must soon take place. Just like he said in Revelation 1.1, 1, 1, that God himself gives the testimony. This book is more than just the words of man. This book is the word of God, and it is not to be neglected. Simply because, in some places, it is difficult to understand. You're still not to lay it aside or put it on a shelf. It's to be understood because it is the word of God. Then in verse 7, you have the attestation of Jesus Christ. And behold, I am coming quickly. Blessed is he who heeds the words of the prophecy of this book. So here Jesus says, read this book. The person who listens to it and obeys it and believes it, it shall be richly blessed by me. So the Lord Jesus Christ gives his imprimatur to this book and he says to them, behold, I am coming quickly. Now, one of the names of Jesus in the New Testament and in the prophets is the coming one. He who comes, or the one who is always coming. That's one of the great themes of the very first chapter of Revelation. Please notice in Revelation chapter 1 where it says in verse 7, Behold, he is coming or he keeps on coming. Remember, when the verb is in the present tense in Greek, it implies continuous action. So this is not simply talking about the second coming at the end of time. It is talking about Christ's continual intervention into history, his providential comings into history to judge and destroy his enemies which shall continue for thousands of times until it is all finished with His second coming at the end of the world. Behold, He keeps on coming with the clouds, and every eye will see Him, even those who pierced Him, and the tribes of all the earth will mourn over Him. So it is to be. Amen. And then remember, in His letters to the seven churches, in Revelation 2 and 3, He says things like this. And I believe this is in verse 16 to one of the churches. Therefore repent or else I am going to you, coming to you quickly and I will make war against them with the sword of my mouth. Now again, that's not talking about the second coming because Jesus is going to come whether or not any church repents or not. So he's not talking about the second coming there in verse 16. He's talking about his providential comings in the history to this church at, per- at Pergamon. And he says, unless you repent, I am coming providentially. And I am going to bring my wrath to bear upon you for the lack of your repentance. So you, when you go back to verse 7 of chapter 2... You see, the same type of thing. It is present tense. I am coming quickly. I keep on coming. And what does the word quickly mean? Well, first, what is the book of Revelation about? The book of Revelation is about how the Lord Jesus Christ destroyed, or at least began to destroy, the two great enemies of the church in the first century. And what were the two great enemies of the church in the first century? You remember? It was apostate Judaism and anti-Christian Rome. And he says, I am coming quickly. Now these words were written sometime in the 60s AD. So I would say the destruction of Jerusalem by the Roman armies in 70 AD was pretty quickly. When he says, I am coming quickly, within just maybe a handful of years, he came providentially to Jerusalem and destroyed apostate Judaism. So we have in verse 6 the attestation of Revelation's authority by God the Father. In verse 7 we have the attestation of Revelation's authority by Christ. And then there is an interesting statement in verse 8. Apostolic attestation. And I, John, am the one who heard and saw these things and when i heard and I, I i saw i fell down to worship at the feet of the angel who showed me these things now don't you think that's awful aud- audacious of the apostle john to say here i am saying you should read the bible here is proof of divine authority God the Father said it is of divine authority. God the Son said it is of divine authority. And I, John, say it is of divine authority. Who does John think he is? Putting himself in the same list with God the Father and God the Son. And not only that, but with the angels in verse 9. You see, even the angels testify to the authority of the book of Revelation. So is, is John being arrogant here? Is John audacious? No, remember who John was. John was the Holy Spirit-inspired apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ. And Jesus said of his apostles, who were inspired by the Holy Spirit, when they accept your words, they are accepting my words. When they reject your words, they are rejecting my words. So Jesus recognized the apostles... Inspired of the Holy Spirit as his mouthpieces. And in in Ephesians 2, he says, The apostles and the prophets are the foundation of the church with Jesus Christ being the chief cornerstone. So John is not being cocky here when he says, here is why you must not neglect the book of Revelation. God says it is of divine authority. Christ says it is of divine authority. And I, as the mouthpiece of a holy Jesus Christ inspired by His Spirit, backed by Christ Himself, testify to the divine authority of this book, along with the angels in heaven. So, after four testimonies like that, every effort must be made on your part to study and obey and believe and understand the book of Revelation. Now, how many months have I spent going through the book of Revelation, trying to explain it as patiently and as clearly as I could? You you say, Gary, yes, but... I just need more. I listened. I was here every week. But it's still difficult. I still don't understand everything. No problem my friends. Neither do I. So keep studying. Keep reading it. Keep listening to the CDs. It is of divine authority. And if you understand it. It should strengthen your faith and give you great hope for the redeemed church of the Lord Jesus Christ in the midst of these very troubling times. And you neglect it, to your own harm. Amen.
0: Eight six six five six oh seven. You're also welcome to visit our website. Drop us an email when you do, reformedheritage.org. Real simple reformedheritage.org. A lot of information there about who we are. We would invite you again to stop by reformedheritage.org. Or if you're writing to us, the address is PMB post mailbox four oh two. Which means when you link arms with us financially, we're able to continue the ministry here on this station. It's a great way to study God's Word together, isn't it? And we'd love to continue to do so. Would you prayerfully consider how God might be leading you to partner with us? We'd love to hear from you again. Won't you call 408 866 5607 or ReformedHeritage.org? Sunday services, by the way, if you'd like to join us, are 2 in the afternoon. We're located at Lone Hill Church, 5055 Lone Hill Road in Los Gatos. Directions can be found at our website, reformedheritage.org. Again, Sunday services are at 2 p.m. Further information can be found, again, at reformedheritage.org or by calling 408 Thank you for joining us. Until next time. God bless.